Last week we studied the story of how God used Joseph to go through some pretty significant trials with, because of the deceit of his brothers. Uh, they went through enslavement, imprisonment, or he did, and it was a roller coaster, right? It was good, bad, mostly bad, good, bad, good, bad, and until finally he came to a place where he began to recognize that perhaps God had brought him through all of those challenges for a very specific time, a very specific place to fulfill a plan that God had. Joseph used his leadership position to bring his family under the protection of Egypt so that they could grow, they could be free for a while, and they would grow into a, a, a pretty significant great nation that we now call Israel, or the Israelites. After the story, we talked about the last week with Joseph. Now, uh, or a after the, the, the story that we talked about last week, and it all looked great, I can tell you that the rest of the story that we haven't yet talked about wasn't all pickles and posies after that. It wasn't just a beautiful story after that. There were challenges to come. There has now been 430 years of oppression and enslavement. You're about to read this story coming up this next week, chapter 4. Joseph, for a time, protected uh, provided protection and health for this new baby nation that was now growing in Egypt. But after Joseph died, the scripture says that, that no one provided a friendly connection with the Egyptian, the new Egyptian political leaders. A new pharaoh came into power who didn't know Joseph, who didn't know Joseph's God, and he began to be afraid that the Israelites were growing in numbers and in power. So to keep power with himself and the, the native people of Egypt, Pharaoh enslaved the, Egypt, the, uh, the, the Israelites. He forced them to work hard. He took away resources from them, but yet forced them to work harder. They built massive structures such as now even the, the famous pyramids that we know of today. So if you were an enslaved Israelite who pushed bricks into place all day long, your lower story looked pretty dismal. While you were working under the sun, perhaps if you were a normal Israelite, perhaps you remembered the promise that God gave Abraham. Perhaps you would remember the stories of Jacob and Joseph and how God gave great promises to them about this beautiful promised land that they were to inhabit. But now, it has now been 430 years that the Egyptians and Pharaoh has had complete authority over you and all of your people. 
And perhaps you would look up at God and say, perhaps you have forgotten us. Perhaps you forgot the promise that you gave 430 years ago to Abraham. Your lower story might say. But what happened to this grand upper story? Has God forgotten the Israelites? Has the power of the Egyptians taken God by surprise? Absolutely not. In fact, 500 years before God had told Abraham that this exact thing would happen. Did you know that? 500 years before God told Abraham that the Israelites would be enslaved by Egypt. It says in Genesis 15, 13, know for certain that for 400 years your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own and that they will be enslaved and mistreated there. Did you catch that? God had an upper story going on and he was in complete control. Well, let's remember God's upper story often is hidden from our limited perspective. We might think that 430 years of enslavement was a long time, and it, it certainly was. Consider what was going on 400 years ago in our American history. If you just look at perspective, 400 years ago, basically John Smith founded the Jamestown Settlement, the very first settlement in what we now call the United States. Slavery was first being introduced to the colony of Virginia. The Mayflower Compact was signed. The King James Bible was being written in 1651 and finally published in 1651. That's a long time ago. If we just think about the timeline of the development of even the United States, that is the same timeline that the Egyptians were enslaved for 430 long years. Imagine a promise of freedom made by God way back then, and still the people were slaves. So it was a long time that the Israelites had been enslaved with no glimmer of hope. It just didn't seem as if God remembered the promise that he had made to them hundreds of years ago. But what seems like a long time to us, in our, infant, in our small uh, short story minds, God is infinite. And God is timeless. And God is sovereign. And he's overlooking the entire grand story. Now, the time had finally come for him to deliver the Israelites, restore them to the path, fulfilling this promise. It was time once again for God to reveal his, his name, his power, his plan. He just needed the right person. So during this time, it was a time when God was beginning to develop new leadership for the Israelites, 
Moses was once again another improbable chosen leader. God's really good at choosing people that everyone else probably never would have chosen. You may recall that Moses had a rather unusual cross-cultural childhood. He was born in a Jewish home. The Pharaoh was afraid of, of the Israel, uh, Israelite community, so he commanded that all of the Jewish little boys from a certain age down should be slaughtered. Well, his mom placed him in a, in a, a basket and launched him out onto the Nile and and uh, the Pharaoh's daughter happened to be bathing during that time period and hears a cry, finds the little boy, and adopts this little boy, not even knowing who he was. But through the providence of God, it works out for Moses' own mother to, to, to nurse him and raise him even as a little prince but yet he was a Jewish little boy. So he becomes a royal prince with the best of education, best training. And there's no doubt that God was, was preparing him and molding him and it, it, so that he would be a young man that had a future divine task to fulfill. So he goes from being a poor slave child to becoming a royal prince in a beautiful palace but as an adult, he begins to see how the Egyptians were treating the Israelites and it, it angers him and he witnesses abuse toward a Hebrew slave and fueled by outrage, Moses kills an Egyptian, buries the body and flees into the desert knowing that he should fear for his life and he knows he can never set foot back in the palace back in Egypt again, or he'd be arrested for murder. So I just told you, a, I know a long story that it's multiple chapters, but I, I feel like I need to set context. But once again, God chooses to use the obvious underdog. Moses spends 40 years out in the desert as a shepherd hanging around stinky sheep. For 40 years, remember what he used, he used to be, a prince in a beautiful palace, eating whatever he wanted, music and education and culture, but now he spends 40 years in silence, not much excitement in the desert, right? But there was a holy moment. A holy moment occurs when Moses meets with God at the burning bush and God calls himself, I am who I am. God appoints Moses to go back to his people, the Israelites, and talk to Pharaoh. And I think if you've read ahead, you've known that it does not go well. I've heard that, uh, that, that people fear death, but there's something they fear more than death. Can you guess what that is? The number one fear. Public speaking is number one. Did you know what the fear of death is? Number seven. 
literally 75% of Americans say, speaking in public, uh-uh, ain't going to happen. I have a fear of that. Moses wasn't just to preach in front of real live people. That's bad enough. But he was to go before the ones who wanted to arrest him. And he was to represent the words of God himself. Now that's pressure. That's pressure. Moses has all sorts of excuses. He says, but God, I'm not really an Egyptian, and you want me to go speak to the Pharaoh. Lord, I, I, I am barely a Hebrew. At least, at least the people really don't see me as a Hebrew because I grew up as a prince. I don't really have the leadership skills, God. I, 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 I stammer. How can I preach? And You want me to go and deliver God's words, God's message in a place where I am wanted on murder charges. That would give me a little fear. Not just speaking publicly, but he's about to get arrested, and he's speaking on behalf of God. Now, I don't know about you, but those seem to be really good reasons why Moses is not a good candidate to be the new secretary of state for the nation of Israel. But God sees it differently, and I'm so glad that he does. You see, in lower story logic, Moses doesn't qualify. He doesn't have the resume. He doesn't have the experience to do this important task. He is not the man for the job. But in the upper story logic, God sees Moses' recognition of the weakness, and he actually says, that is the type of person that I can use. There's no way that Moses can take any of the credit because he doesn't have anything to bring to the table. The only possible way is through God's divine power and miraculous provision, and God says, you are the right man. So from the lower story perspective, it makes absolutely no sense to choose someone like Moses and entrust him with such an important task. But our perspective is limited, isn't it? We seldom see things the way that God sees them. Isaiah says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. God is saying we think differently. We have different perspectives. God's only qualification to be used by him is to have a willing and obedient people. So there was no doubt who brought the freedom. In the next few weeks, after the burning bush incident, holy moment, the next few weeks, God taught the Egyptians and the Israelites much more about who he was. Moses goes back, whether he wants to or not, he has an audience before the Pharaoh And God taught them that he 
has absolute power over life and death. Let's, let's skip to the story where Moses is now eye to eye with Pharaoh. Moses, with Aaron by his side, meets with a Pharaoh whose heart is, is hard towards the Israelites and to God, and God shows him his strength in a way that no one could ever doubt that he was the holy God, and he, he did this. We talk about the 10 plagues that came upon the, the Egyptians, the uh, turning water into blood, frogs, lice, flies, boils, hail and fire, locusts, darkness, death of firstborn. Can I just ask, who would have just stopped at the, the water and blood thing? I think I would say, whoa, stop now. I can tell you Darla would have stopped at lice. The third one, nope, we're ending right here. But for some reason, Pharaoh went on and on. He was, had such a hard heart. It was as if God wanted to pound it into the minds of the Egyptians. Don't mess with God. He's absolute. He's mighty. He commands the universe. He gives life and he takes it away. Don't mess with God. Paul sums up this whole story in Romans 9, 17. For Scripture says to Pharaoh, I raised you up for this very purpose, that I might display my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed in all of the earth. God's desire was to proclaim a certain characteristic of who he was to all of the Egyptians and the Israelites. But God was also teaching the Israelites during this time. It wasn't just the Egyptians. He was saying, it is only because of me that you're going to be free. It's not Moses. It's not you. It's not your numbers. It's me. Well, Pharaoh finally is overcome by the magnitude of all of these plagues, and he lets the people go. And should we just say Everything was pickles and rosies and posies after that? It wasn't. It wasn't perfect. I promise the story gets worse even after the 10 plagues. But God taught them that he can be trusted with the impossible. Let's skip ahead in the story and, and, we, and the Israelites have now been released by Pharaoh he is now chasing them through the desert. He, he thinks, oh no, I've made the wrong decision. I let them go. Now he begins to, he sends his thousands of soldiers after them into the desert. And God did something really strange. Uh, just uh, listening to our sons who are in the army talk about strategies and defense uh, structures and and weaponry, it's fascinating to hear them talk. And then to apply that with some of these stories, you, you'll realize that God forced the Israelites into a camping spot that was a strategic suicide. It was the absolute worst place they could ever defend themselves. In fact, he purposely had them camp in a strategically dangerous place. In fact, the scripture says in Exodus 14, 12, camp at Pi-Hiraroth between Migdol and the sea. 
So basically, camp so that the, the, the sea is right in front of you and it's totally blocking your, your escape. Behind you will be the soldiers that are trying to enslave you and on each side will be impassable mountains. It's a cul-de-sac and death is coming quickly. It was the worst place for millions of, uh, of almost defenseless uh, Israelites to camp. So God places them in an impossible dead end and they are faced or face to face with their enemy once again, but God knew exactly what was going on. And one of my f- favorite quotes is by C.H. Uh, McIntosh. He said, the sea was before them, Pharaoh's hosts behind them, and the mountains around them, and all of this, be it observed, permitted, and ordered by God. We know the rest of the story. The Red Sea opens up. The the Israelites escape to dry land. The water closes over the Egyptian soldiers and, and kills them. It's just a horrific scene. As the free Israelites now stand on on the other side of the shore, looking back at what God did them with floating weaponry and 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 bodies and and it was just an awful scene, I'm sure, but yet they were free. God reminds them that he can always be trusted with the impossible. God can always be trusted with the impossible. God can always be trusted with the impossible. I'm just wondering if you have a Pharaoh in your life right now. It may be a person, it may be a circumstance, it may be an impossible situation. It may feel like this personal Pharaoh is enslaving you, bringing you conflict, maybe even a great amount of fear or anxiety. Can I just tell you, don't lose hope. Don't give up. Let let me remind you that in your lower story, you are only seeing a very small slice of what's going on. It may seem helpless and hopeless, but remember, God is always working with the upper grand story. He's in complete control. He's in absolute control power. Your plight has not surprised God. Your plight has not worried God. God's got this. He is fully in charge and fully in control. Would you please stand with me? I'd like to invite this morning those who will help us serve communion to come forward. I'd like for us to take this opportunity to take communion this morning. I think it's quite appropriate, especially with this story. The night before the Israelites made their escape, God asked them to do something really interesting. We find the story in Genesis chapter uh, chapter 12. 
he told the Israelites to take a lamb and take its life. Collect some of the blood in a, a clean bowl. And they were to take a branch of hyssop, which was just a type of, of bush, and dip it in the blood in that bowl. And then strike the corners of the doorposts with the blood. This is what God said would happen if they did that. I am the Lord, he said. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. That's exactly what happened. The Spirit of God passed over the Israelites. Wherever the blood was applied on the doorposts, the plagues passed over the Israelites. But the Egyptians felt the wrath of God by taking of the firstborn of every family and of every animal. Now let's fast forward 1,400 years. Jesus is now in the upper room. He's with his disciples and he knows the hours are coming to the last of his own life. They're celebrating this very act. They're remembering the story of the Passover. And for 1,400 years, every single year, Jewish families would get together on a set date and they would come together and they, the father would retell the story of enslavery and Moses and the blood and the hyssop and the passing over and the lives that were spared for 1,400 years. They were celebrating the very act of God of saving the Israelites. And Jesus told the disciples that the juice that was on the table before them, it represented the blood that he would pour out for them. And he said, this bread, let it represent the body, my body, that will be broken for you. And once again, death would occur. Once again, a body would be broken. Blood would be poured out so that people's lives and even eternities would be saved. And when the Israelites broke the, uh, the body and uh, uh, broke the body and poured the blood, it would not be the last time that it brought salvation. But when Jesus became the sacrifice, he was the final and ultimate salvation. Ultimate sacrifice. It would never needed to be done again. So as we sing this morning, we have bread 
that has been broken and it represents the broken body of Christ. And we have juice that represents the blood that, would, that was poured out for Christ and his life was given so that our sins could be forgiven. And as we sing, I'd invite you just to come down these main aisles, take the juice and the bread. There's a gluten-free option here. And then take it back to your seats where after we're done singing, we'll take it together. Please come and receive communion. Standing on this mountaintop, looking just how far we've come, knowing that for every step you were with us. Kneeling on this battleground, seeing just how much you've done, knowing every victory was your power in us. Scars and struggles on the way, but with joy our hearts can say, yes, our hearts can say. just how far we've come, knowing that for every step you were with us. Kneeling on this battleground, seeing just how much you've done, knowing every victory was your power in us. Scars and struggles on the way, but with joy strong. 
on the night that he was betrayed. He joined with his disciples and he recognized the hour was late. But he was focused on what he knew that his father had called him to do. He knew that that very night he would be arrested. He knew the decision that would be made by the religious and political leaders. And he knew that he would be imprisoned and that very shortly his life would be taken. His entire life was focused on this very event. And so as they gathered around the table, he picked up the bread He said, this bread, it represents my body. And it will be broken for you. Take and remember that my body will be broken. on the table was the fruit of the vineyard and he said guys this represents my blood I will die and my blood will be poured out and you knew it would be the last sacrifice ever needed for the forgiveness of sins so he said, when you take this juice, remember me. Father, we remember. We remember. And we're so very thankful. We're thankful that you loved us. And that you've provided a way of salvation. Something that we did not deserve. Something that we don't know how to do. We have no ability to find peace and fellowship unless it's because of you. So, Father, as we take this communion, this bread and this juice that represents your act of love, we want to say, thank you. We want to say thank you for loving us so much. And Father, if there are those who have yet accepted you as their personal Savior this morning, we ask that their hearts would recognize the power and the peace that you desire for them. Forgiveness, complete forgiveness today. In Jesus' name, would you receive this benediction? There's a key passage in Exodus chapter 13 that gives a perspective 
of what happened in this period of Israel's life. Commemorate this day. The day that you came out of Egypt. Out of the land of slavery. Because the Lord brought you out of it with a mighty hand. Can I say the same thing to you? Remember this day, the day that God brought you out of your mess because it was the Lord who brought you out with his mighty hand. So now, in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Go in peace. Because my friends, he's already gone before.